0: Hey, y'all. My name is Ann Wyatt. I started my career in workforce development with the state of Kentucky in 2010. That experience ignited a deep passion for manufacturing within me. I started this show hoping to raise more awareness around the bright outlook manufacturing careers have. Join me as I sit down with some of the manufacturing industry's most successful changemakers and learn how they're partnering people with technology. It's time to give people more meaningful work. This is Workforce 4.0 that time yay yay yeah hey everybody it's super exciting to be back here today like your favorite undercover band ryan treese and i are just kicking off with a pop-up show for workforce 4.0 season three and i'm really excited to see you ryan how are you
1: i'm good you as well i'm doing i'm doing really good thank you yeah it's been it's been a busy year so far
0: It has been busy, right? (laughs) It has been. I finally, I was like, okay, I'm not traveling during these dates. So this is, this is the season. This is it. So we're doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You've been on the road quite a bit. You're hitting some trade shows. You know, I'm, I'm jealous.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been good to get some work done as well. But Ryan and I are, we go way back, don't we?
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Early clubhouse days.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And there were a lot of clubhouse moments after dark and it's it was cool bonding with you during that experience. Lots of
1: fun industry 4.0 conversations.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am so excited that you are finally on the show. It is long overdue. I know what is the season
1: 3 for you now?
0: <laughs> yes, technically. Yes. Wow. wow.
1: Well, yeah. I'm happy, I'm happy we, we could get together finally.
0: I know it's about time. Well, let's go ahead and kind of get this show on the road, shall we?
1: Let's do it. All right.
0: All right. So, you know, I've got to ask you, Ryan, oh. you know, because you know, I'm a huge music fan, right? Yes. And that's kind of, that's kind of something that I like to do is trade songs back and forth. And I know you've gotten me into a couple of different bands too. So that's mm-hmm. been pretty cool. But I have to ask you, and and we should make this happen, by the way. And I I'm upset that we have not yet. But karaoke, karaoke- how do you feel about oh. it?
1: You know, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, huge huge fan. Small groups though. I I can't do the big stage. But my go to, Everlong, Foo Fighters, every time. That's 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 a uh, favorite song ever. So karaoke. That's that's the one I'm requesting.
0: I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. Right. Good I mean, band, who doesn't right? love the Foo Fighters? Yeah. I've never seen them in concert, but they're definitely on my bucket list to see.
1: Same. That, yeah. That'll be our next our next networking event, the Foo Fighters concert. It's for 4.0 Foo Fighters.
0: <laughs> Let's can we do that? Can we talk to somebody and please make that happen? Thank you.
1: I'm on it. That's I'll, I'm going to reach out.
0: Awesome. I'd be there for that. So the title of the show today, and we kind of got into this a little bit on our prep call yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, is kind of finding your career path in manufacturing. And before we kind of get into that, tell me a little bit about Ryan Trees.
1: Oof, there's, there's not not much to. I'm just a nerdy IoT guy. So I have home automation. I got uh, my dog Leo. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs>
0: right yeah Yeah. um i think there's more to to it than that though because you were like you were you were very on point with all of the the nerdy iot stuff right um because guys i don't want ryan to like underplay himself when you get ryan into a conversation and he starts talking about it i'm over here like let me write this down. <laughs> I need to know more. And I think that's kind of where kind of getting to know you in the Industry 4.0 club was super beneficial for me. You've taught me so much about the industry. But you shared something with me yesterday, and it wasn't always quite like that, was it?
1: No, no, it wasn't. Well, I, I was always kind of a computer nerd growing up, but when it for the IoT stuff, I kind of had a unique way of getting into it. I guess to to start. I went to Western Michigan University, started in electrical engineering, and then I ended up switching to a business major. And at the career fair, my last semester, I was walking through and I noticed one of the, the few companies that was selling a physical product instead of software was this company called Kiats, right? And so factory automation, sensors, I ended up getting a job there. They gave us, I think it was like three months of training at their corporate headquarters, because I had no idea, like my dad worked in a factory when I was growing up and like, we'd go there for holiday parties, but I didn't know what a PLC was. I didn't know what an input, what a sensor was. Right. And so over time, it actually worked out because I I got diagnosed with type one diabetes my last semester of college. And it was kind of a a struggle for me to adjust at first, just kind of the mental burden of having to check my blood sugar infrequently. Then I got a continuous glucose monitor. It gave me readings every five minutes. But what always frustrated me was this insulin pump that dosed me insulin. I just had to program it. It didn't automatically do it. So I was constantly like manually adjusting one and and reading the other and doing these mental math calculations. And so fast forward a few years and I found out about Open Source Project and it was kind of a cool story because this guy had a a young daughter in school that was having issues controlling her blood sugar and he worried about her and he was a nerdy software guy. So he just took like a Raspberry Pi ended up programming it, hacked the insulin pump, hacked the blood sugar monitor, made like a website to upload all this data. So this whole IOT solution, and he was able to automate it so that when she's playing at recess and running around, it'll automatically suspend her insulin pump so she doesn't go low, right? If they're worried about her and they don't have to call the school to have her go to the nurse's office to check her blood sugar, He can just pull up his website and monitor that, right? And so I think once I found out about that, that had a pretty big impact on my life. So when I'm going into these different IoT solutions, that's kind of where I'm coming from, right? Like what can we, what has this continuous mental burden, whether it's in the factory or at, at your home that you can kind of automate and do those little calculations ongoing. So yeah, it's kind of uh, after that I was hooked on the IOT stuff. So I got a bunch of microcontrollers everywhere. Uh, I, I try and do a lot of that stuff, but it was, uh, yeah, I kind of fell into it, I guess.
0: That's awesome. And I love that story, um, you know, that it, it was the father Right. You know, kind of looking for solutions, of course, as a parent, like who wouldn't do that, right? But, you know, he was looking for solutions for his daughter and, and was able to share that. And I mean, that's really about, you know, speaks to the power of community, right? And, you know, what I love so much about doing stuff like this and, and being a part of uh, LinkedIn and, and stuff like that is really sharing those use cases and sharing those personal stories at the same time.
1: Yeah, it, it was inspirational too, because here's an industry, these technologies have existed for decades, right? And from a manufacturer standpoint, they have a, a, a lock on the market. There's no reason, it's just increased risk if you're automatically dosing, right? And so they pass that liability onto the endocrinologist, like so don't have to do that until this guy comes in, cares about his daughter, disrupts everything. To where it, it went viral, a lot of people were doing, he published a build, you could do it yourself, walk them through steps, very supportive community, right? And then the FDA got concerned about it. And so they had to start meeting with the FDA and it ended up forcing these other large insulin pump manufacturers to come up with their own AI solutions. And I think if this guy, this nerdy guy just trying to take care of his daughter, you know, if he, if he didn't hack this together over a weekend or a month or however long it took him, like we wouldn't see the results of that today. So when, when I'm out there in industry, I'm always looking out for like, what's just waiting to be disrupted like this, right? Like where is this low hanging fruit that we could just easily tie together and create these efficiency gains here?
0: Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I think that's a really unique mindset of product marketing and and marketing in general. And I know you do a lot of biz development. I think it's really interesting that you started your career in college that you were like, yeah, I'm going to go into electrical engineering, which is awesome, right? By all means, we need more EEs. But what kind of inspired you to change over into the business side of things?
1: A few things. I'd say... One, my first semester of college, I was in our digital logic class, and the professor's like, raise your hand if it's your first time taking the class. Less than half the people in the class raised their hand. <laughs> Two times, three times, right? And I'm sitting there like, this is all on, you know? Like, so I think, that was part of it, and then I also had when I was in college, I was working full- time and, and I started some sales shops, just like at an office supply store I then selling phones for for Sprint and Nextel and I liked it you know I liked talking to people I liked kind of the the technical sale solution so uh, it kind of was natural for me to just say hey i want to I want to do sales and business marketing as my major and it ended up working out because My primary customers were controls engineers, electrical engineers. So it's kind of funny how it all comes back full circle, right?
0: Absolutely. But you know, the thing is, you know, when I was in school, I would have never thought manufacturing. I just wouldn't. I just was not there yet in my life path. You know what I mean? When I thought about marketing, you know, you think of all of these tech companies or you think of kind of a different industry niche altogether and you know, it's interesting that you saw that kind of early on and you saw manufacturing as your career path. And I just want to know kind of what inspired that and kind of what led you down that rabbit hole.
1: Luck I'll say luck. So yeah, I saw them, I saw Key inside the career fair and it just so happened my like head of our sales program was at the career fair at the same time as me and we walked by this key booth together. That's just kind of how we met like naturally. And then he said to the recruiter, he was, he was a really nice guy, uh, Dr. Ecker. He And I still talk to him. He just looked at the, the HR hiring manager for Keyance. like, there's one guy you're going to hire at this campus. This is your guy. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to mess this up. And so <laughs> But the more I research a company, I was like, wait a minute, I can sell lasers? That sounds so cool to be like, what do you do? I sell lasers, right? Do I want to sell payroll software? No, I don't want to sell payroll software. I want to sell lasers. And so I just thought that was really cool, the technology aspect of it. And then my dad works at uh, Ford Motor Company, machine repair. So I do think talking to my dad and and finding out more and kind of how it fit in, It just generated more interest for me. But I would describe, especially my first job out of school, I always love to show How It's Made. Have you ever seen How It's Made? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love How It's Made. And I tell, like, that was literally my job, right? And so right out of college, new guy, they gave me this, like, nothing territory in in middle of nowhere, Ohio. I'm driving through cornfields. But I get to go see how candy canes are made. Like, who doesn't want to see how candy canes are made? I got to see how many chips Ahoy are made, how Ziploc baggies were made. Pretty much every automotive part that you can think of and assembling the whole vehicle itself. And so I I just think it, it's so exciting to be able to not only walk the floor and see how this stuff is made, but talk to the engineer responsible for designing. And they always have cool stuff, right? They always have cool stories. Like, one of my favorite things to do is I ended up just like, I'd, I'd get into a, a meeting and say, hey, what's the most fun project that you've done here? And some guys would be like, what, what do you mean fun? But then I'd always know I met a cool person and I'm like, hold on, I got something to show you. And they have this like, it, it looks like almost like a MacGyver engineering solution that they kind of came up with, but it just fit together perfectly. And so I, I think all those little mouse traps over the years, I just always appreciated the ingenuity there. Because if I was an engineer, right, I'd be responsible for the same manufacturing line or the same manufacturing facility, the same product, and then you can continuously improve it. But I liked that kind of variety of, of learning all these different processes and all these different products, right? And so I always thought that was really interesting.
0: That is really interesting. And I love that as well. So when I'm actually screening candidates for recruiting, one of the questions that I ask them, I'm glad you brought this up is, Mm -hmm. you know, tell me something that you've done to innovate your current role. How Mm -hmm. have you innovated in your current role? And there are always, there's always the mousetrap story every single time. And I think it's just so cool that, you know, and, And really that's a creative outlet, I think in its own way, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? To really kind of be able to apply those critical thinking skills that we're talking about and always like problem solving skills and always come out with this solution that is kind of out of the box. That's like just kind of different. That's definitely not out of the textbook. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, how did your brain wire that together? That's interesting. (laughs)
0: Right? Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, cool. You know? Yeah. That's very cool. I'm going to go over some of the comments here. You guys are awesome. You guys are always in the comments and and asking great questions and everything. So let's bring up some of these. Amber's here. She says, hi. Hello. Hello. She says, looking good, friend. Well, thank you, Amber. I appreciate that. Caitlin Cole is here.
1: What's up, Caitlin?
0: She says, Yay, Clubhouse crew. Mm-hmm. Hello, Clubhouse. Hey, the waving hand. Yes. That's awesome. Clubhouse was fun. I mean, it was mm-hmm. super niche and it had a run, but it, it, back in the day, it was fun.
1: Well, that was cool, right? And in, in terms of having access to these people that you normally wouldn't be able to connect with, right? So you could, for the first time, Like I went to Western Michigan University, right? It's not known for like being this prestigious academic brain trust. And so for the first time, I could talk to people from MIT neuroscience, right? And then you have this person who's in like brain, computer, interface, technology, IoT, VR, AR stuff, right? And then you get to hear where those fields meet. And I think those conversations were always really fun. And then that, that, that's where the creativity kind of takes off. Right.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I enjoy kind of getting to know people as people too, right. Because you would mm -hmm. have these super in-depth intellectual conversations, but then, you know, you kind of got to get to know the person behind that and like really find out what their hobbies were and what their interests were. And that was just kind of cool. Oh yeah.
1: it's just, yeah. And it was just, it was this casual learning slash social environment that I really liked about it because a lot of people didn't have an agenda. They weren't pitching or trying to sell. It was just a lot of people trying to learn and share. And I think those are those are always interesting um, conversations to be a part of. And so Industry 4.0 Club, obviously how, how we got connected, that was fun. And I, th- I think that was a fun time of our life
0: i'll say that was fun well speaking of industry 4.0 club Mm -hmm. analytica's report just came out
1: oh yes yes that did
0: you were featured as one of the top industry 4.0 industry influencers again
1: again yeah
0: you texted this to me i responded with i'm jelly that i did not get my invite That was an
1: oversight. I'm sure it must've been.
0: It absolutely was, but no, uh, just kidding. All jokes aside, congratulations. I'm proud of you. I'm super proud of you. What does that mean getting that title and being looked at as an industry influencer?
1: Oh, I don't, you know, it's, it's weird for me because I'm, I'm not very shy about this stuff, but it is something I'm passionate about. Right. And so It does mean a lot to me because I guess the way I envision the future with industry 4.0 is kind of having that tie-in of your personal health and that data integration into the work environment, right? And so I love posting about new technology. I can talk machine vision for days. That's always an interesting technology for me. I think we can do a lot with that, but I think being an industry 4.0 thought leader, influencer, whatever you want to use a term for is it's exciting, right? Because I think getting an audience to share these ideas and then all it takes is one person in the right role to also have like a personal connection, right? And that's where true innovation comes, just like that guy with his daughter and the insulin pump. And so I think... I'd like to use these, use this opportunity to kind of find more, more things like that. So not just diabetes, data integration, but other health issues and using these types of technologies to make sure people feel comfortable, make sure they feel safe in the workplace. You know, when, when COVID hit, when I was at my prior employer, we had a lot of customers that reached out like, Hey. Is there something we can do? There was news reports like, hey, there's an IOT solution where you have these wristbands and then it'll like go off if you're in X amount of six feet or whatever with each other. And so a lot of companies were looking for these solutions to keep people safe and healthy. And so we, I, was, I was happy to be part of a team where we were building solutions that simple stuff like counting how many people walk through the door in a certain area, and then having that record so that way they're able to know how many people are allowed to be in a certain area, right? Or when's the last time you sanitized your station at work and wiped it down? And so here's things that it was cool to be a part of because we're helping people feel safe and comfortable through IoT solutions. And then I think that just reignited kind of my passion for this stuff, right? And then I started posting more regularly and I started meeting other people in the industry that thought similar. And those are those are the kinds of things I'd like to see, but I'd like to see kind of get further down the line, next level stuff, you know? But yeah, I mean, it's cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, did you ever think, kind of staying on theme to the conversation today, I mean, did you ever think that you would be When you went to that career fair in college (laughs) and you saw kiosks and you were like, yeah, I want to sell lasers. I want to do that. You Mm -hmm. know, did you ever think that your path would lead to being an industry influencer? Uh, That kind of thing didn't really exist though.
1: Not really. Yeah. I mean, I was confident obviously, but I didn't know I couldn't have foreseen this so That's why it's, it's really cool blue collar family, like first person to, to graduate college. actually that was the only one in my family. so yeah yeah, it was I've, I've already exceeded my expectations, I'll say. so I have to keep raising that bar.
0: Yeah, well, I you know, I'll say it again. I'm proud of you, you know Thank you. Mom Ann here is very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. For sure. Let's bring up some of these questions. You guys are still in the comments, blowing us up here. This is awesome. Rhiannon wants to know, how do you think about balancing out the folks that love innovating and the folks that want to just keep doing what they're, they've always done, but have passion for their companies and their work? i love to hear what works best for you. Oh, that's a great question. We can, yeah. yeah. I like that. I think, Ryan.
1: That's always tough, right? Because I think it depends a lot on which problem you, you tackle. And it's always leading with understanding the problem or the challenges that individual worker has and listening and hearing them out and then coming up with the technology, right? A lot of people will do it backwards. So they'll say, Hey, here's this AR, VR thing. This is super cool. And then they go and find some random thing that fits in. If you're not making their life easier, you're going to meet resistance for it. Even if you do make their life easier, people don't like change, right? So I always try and focus. I put myself in that worker situation and I'm picturing myself doing this job, right? And I think what would make my life easier without complicating or adding more steps to it. So keeping it super simple, leading with a problem solution approach rather than the technology. I think those those have been successful in my career, but also finding that not every company or company culture is the right fit for this technology right now. And so a lot of companies are going to be left behind And then they'll start to feel that kind of pain of their competitors getting these huge efficiency gains, these huge productivity gains, and and that'll be reflected in their pricing for the products or services that they're offering, right? So eventually everyone's going to be in a situation where they need to compete, but it's just a matter of finding that kind of alignment of when they're ready for it from a company, getting that, that internal support to help as well, because no matter how good of a solution we anyone puts together, you're going to have to have some internal champions and that continuous support to, that will just give that little bit of hand holding when you walk away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some major takeaways from what you just said there, but top takeaways, you're right. If you're implementing technology that is going to be harder on the user, it's just not going to it's not going to adapt well, but understanding your workforce on an, on a one-on-one basis and leading with empathy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, are probably two of the strongest things you, you can do. And there's partnering with your HR staff yeah. and having those conversations, I think are critical during this time. Let's see Chris S is here. He says pivoting off the insulin pump example, what is the biggest simple opportunity for IoT applications for small manufacturers that you feel is being overlooked when it could make significant impact to productivity? That is a great question. I love that
1: question. Great great love question, that question great. too. Predictive maintenance is such an easy one, right? That's that's why you hear it, it's so popular, especially in rotating assets like motors and things like that it just makes too much sense. Like the, the cost of deploying, whether it's like a, a LoRaWAN based vibration temperature sensor or one that's going through like an IO link block, you can get these, these sensors for a few hundred bucks and a predictive algorithm, right? Cause all that thing's doing just like the insulin pump is doing, it's, it's just kind of this repetitive check, right? Like are these things in between this tolerance line? And so as that motor wears down and the bearing starts to wear down, you're going to see more wobble and that'll cause higher amplitudes on that, on that chart. And so I think that is hands down. If I was a small to medium sized manufacturer, I would start with doing probably a a rotating asset rotating asset predictive or preventative maintenance. And then the other one I'll mention is just getting your data to a cloud or a common dashboard just in general. And so one of the challenges is are these machines all on the same network? Because you could have a huge facility with all of these individual stamping presses that none of them have an ethernet cable connecting them. Right. Right. And so there are also systems that, have a localized plant network. And I think in that case, if you don't have to kind of IT or network, everything's together, just getting basic data off your equipment and, and visualizing it. Because if you walk into a plant facility, I bet everyone sees right when you walk in the door, a big whiteboard, right? And that's going to have all of the production data. That's going to have production targets, right? It's going to have quality info, all of this stuff. And they may have uh, a morning meeting kind of kicking it off, having the expectations for the day. They might have like a midday meeting where they're like, okay, how did the morning go? Do we have to make those kind of adjustments? And then they could have an end of shift or second shift in the day meeting kind of reviewing, right? Well, each that's three snapshots of data throughout the day. What if you had, instead of those manually reported whiteboard data, what if you at any time could just log in, view those metrics in real time, and then make decisions quicker? So you're not falling behind on production for the three hours for the start of the day, you're finding that problem in hour one, and then you're, you're implementing those solutions two hours earlier and realizing those gains faster. So I think having that information and data to work off of in real time is, is extremely valuable as well.
0: That's amazing. Or even what if you, what if you have a part that's about to go out, you know? Yeah. You could see Mom, the quality control help.
1: drifts, right? Cause almost every process is going to have some sort of gauging or check fixture and, and things like that. Pulling that data once again, drifting tolerances.
0: Yeah, for sure. I hope that answers your question, Chris. I think that Ryan did an amazing job with that.
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you. Kurt wants to know, what do you think is the first tool that can be used in companies? IoT bag of need for hire when telling transitioning workers where to start? Ooh, that is a good, you are killing it today. Yes.
1: Oh, yes. Great question, Kurt. I'm trying to think, right? If I, if I was a company and I was trying to build an IoT team, I would probably start with someone who has a background in kind of doing, I guess, yeah, I think having an IOT background in some sort of sensor to cloud solution would would be great. But if they have a lot of industry knowledge and a specific process that they can bring to the table, a lot of the other stuff you can teach pretty easily. And the solutions have become much easier to deploy. So I think I would want to make sure that the person I'm hiring understands kind of the process, the challenges, and have that kind of continuous improvement mindset that kind of creative problem solving and kind of not afraid to fail and push back when others are are questioning them because you do meet resistance in, in a lot of these situations.
0: Absolutely. And not only that, you know, we have this conversation about how roles have changed and how they continue to change so often, Ryan. You know, they're probably, you know, if I'm thinking from a recruiting standpoint, I've got X here as a number, right, of how many individuals are out running around with this experience, right? The IoT experience that is needed. Yeah. And I'm thinking about IoT and IIoT, right, as a as a career path and did that, you know, how long and down here you got the length of time of how long that position has existed.
1: Oh yeah. So
0: as a follow up to Kurt's question, what are some of those other transferable skill sets that you think are important to implement or look for when you're recruiting talent for that area?
1: Mm. Any type of sales engineering role where you have to come up with a technical technical solution, I think is always an interesting one, right? Like when, when I was at my first job, I would literally walk around with this big suitcase full of sensors and, and different type of equipment. And I felt like a magician. I take out, I put my case on the table, and you're you're pulling out these sensors and, and talking solutions. So I think having kind of a basic understanding of the different tools in the toolbox is, is important, and having experience putting those together for unique solutions for customers. And then understanding what was the result. Like, do you understand the, the business justification behind that? Yes, you sold them a laser and, and they bought a thousand lasers. But what were they using that laser for and what was the the end result of implementing that technology?
0: That's amazing. I love that. And that kind of feeds into our next question from John. What advice would you give to engineers, especially non-electrical engineers who want to shift to industry 4.0 jobs?
1: I would just recommend, there's a lot of the cost of this technology and the resources available. I mean, just, just buy a raspberry Pi, Right. And then just start doing some sensor based projects on the weekend. Like you can take a, you can take a vibration temperature sensor, put it on your washer and dryer and have it alert when it stops vibrating. So, you know, when the the clothes are ready to be changed over. Right. You can, you can take, if your backyard's flooding, you might be able, okay, this is one project I did do. (laughs) My backyard was flooding. So, I ended up digging, digging. Yes. I dug a I dug a French drain out, and then I had it empty into this this big pit, a dry well, and then I put an ultrasonic water level sensor, and then I had it driving like a a sump pump to pump out all the water in my backyard straight straight to the street, and so I used IoT to kind of solve all my home issues, and there's a lot of cool solutions you can do with that, and then free courses. So I think just getting comfortable with that, that kind of stuff. But really, once again, I think having any sort of process knowledge, continuous improvement, mindset, efficiency focused mindset is important. And then just there's a the basic understanding of how each sensor technology works and then how, how to tie that stuff together.
0: Absolutely. And not only that, John, but, you know, I don't think, I I think that understanding the industry is key, but I think that you can learn that kind of Mm -hmm. based on also what we said a little bit earlier. I want to really showcase Ryan's kind of experience today too, because Ryan's not, you know, he's not an engineer and he's, into manufacturing. And sometimes I think when we're talking about the industry, sometimes we do keep it so technical. And I think that a good recruitment strategy is to really showcase the creativity that is in the industry as well. Like manufacturing is not just about this or that or you know, you have to be like laser focused on one career path or the other. There's so much opportunity in this industry. And, you know, I think that this, this is kind of what we're getting to today. I, I don't know. What do you think, Ryan?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think it's just a growing industry. I mean, we're going to need more people handling more data, deploying these kind of smart solutions. There's so many different ways you can fit in in an IoT role right? And so you don't have to, I'm a business major. I'm a business major, right? And so if I can do it, you can do it. But yeah, I think it's, it's tough because when people look at IOT, it's such a broadly used term as well. And so it can be challenging for hiring and recruiting because you could have someone that is an IOT engineer with 10 years experience, but the only thing they've ever done may be logistics supply chain backend custom cloud implementations, right? You put them on a factory floor and they're gonna say, what is Ethernet IP? What is Modbus? I don't know how to get data off this equipment. I didn't know it was, you know, where do I begin? Which vendors do I use? And so that's where I think once again it's it's gonna be more specific of having any sort of manufacturing or vertical experience. And then the rest, the solutions have gotten a lot better in terms of, we can teach you IoT in a few days. I can't teach you manufacturing, continuous improvement, and all these different processes that you've, you've learned over the years. That's something that's going to come from experience and from exposure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When I started recruiting, I, I did not, I mean, PLC, what? Yeah, what's a PLC? What, what does that mean? I- yeah but, yeah yeah and you just you know and and I guess it was kind of one of those things where I didn't really have to to learn it but I was so interested in it that mm-hmm. I was I just stubborn kind
1: of, I was stubbornly interested in that stuff I would spend my weekends googling stuff I at one point I wanted to learn ladder logic for PLCs like yeah there's a lot of cool stuff
0: there's a lot of cool stuff it's just cool yeah, you know, manufacturing is just cool. Mm-hmm. Um this LinkedIn user says uh, predictive maintenance and IoT networking protocols need continued thought leadership as there is still a lot of work ahead for them to make life better. Not net more laborious than short-lived in usefulness due to said setup and maintenance burden.
1: Yep. I agree. I mean The challenging part is always going to be the legacy equipment, right? A majority of the machines and equipment in the field are going to be legacy 10 plus years old. And so you can have factories that have 30 year old PLCs that just won't die. And so it's always a challenge. How do you get data and transition this older production equipment? So you may hear Rip and replace is a common term. That just means your PLC or your controls are too old that they're really going to gut it and replace it with a newer system that can natively talk these protocols. And so I think we definitely, even if we decide if everyone today was like, hey, we're all using MQTT or we're all, we're all using OPC UA, that's not going to solve the problem. We We still need to focus on How are we gonna connect these legacy assets and implement them into these systems while still making it easy as people transition over time to newer equipment? It's that that great complexity of having, okay, you sourced your machinery based off the lowest bidder, and now you have 10 different PLC brands that all talk their own special way in house, right? That may have worked out for an industry 3.0 solution call it, That's all just automation based. But once you come into a data driven industry 4.0 where that becomes more important, that's where people I think are seeing a lot of these challenges. But when I'm thinking of solutions out there, I think of my grumpy old maintenance dad and I think, could I convince my dad to do this? And if the answer is no, it's time to kind of rethink maybe the solution we're looking at there or maybe investigate a, a potential alternative for that. But yeah, the, the industrial protocol, I could, I could talk for days. I don't like vendor lock-in, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't like being limited. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but I think towards the future, what's nice is I think we're going to rely less on these PLCs. They're going to be more commoditized in the sense that most of that is just going to be used as kind of a data generation. And we're just gonna immediately push it to a cloud or an on-premise edge solution. And that's where all the programming is gonna be. So then you don't have to worry about 12 different softwares to learn and all the different service and support packages. I think it's really gonna be one more common platform to time all together.
0: Yeah, I kind of wondered myself and, um, you know, that's a really good segue into our last question of the day is, you know, where do you think the industry is going? Like in 10 years from now, when you're looking at machine vision or you're looking at sensors, you know, where are we going to be? What, what are, you know, what are some of the jobs that you feel like are going to kind of come out of this industry 4.0 transition?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I, I think we're going to see a lot more we, we are starting to see quite a bit of AI companies out there. And I think it's going to transition into creating a lot more small to medium sized businesses in specific use cases for AI in their different verticals. right? And, and so I think there may be someone who's a material handling AI specialist, and there may be another company that's automotive, manufacturing, AI specialists, these different silos of knowledge where they can take everything that they've learned, come up with this creative solution and inter- intellectual property, and then that'll become more common, I think, as a business model for small to medium-sized businesses. I think having, I would like to see more health data integration I think there are automotive companies that I've seen their specifications list. They put a lot of thought into the ergonomics of how even they build a workstation. It has to be this certain height. It has to be tilted at this angle and it has to have adjustments for this angle, right? Uh, It has to be compensating for colorblind people. You have to have solutions for that. Maybe if there's different lights that mean different things, you have to have alternative programming solutions. So, I'd really like to see more focus on keeping workers healthy. I know my, my dad repairing machines at Ford over the years, two shoulder surgeries, you know? So, I think that's sort where of stuff, and I see Kurt's mentioning like exoskeletons. I think that's cool. That How is cool. Who would cool. it be to just like pick up this huge motor with robot arms and be like, okay, you know?
0: I and wanna do that.
1: I want robot arms. Yeah, I I think AR has a huge, huge possibility. Having these new different types of smart glasses and being able to put different metrics or maybe guided instructions for when you want them. Uh, But I'd really like to see, yeah, more focus on health and and accommodating for disabled. Uh, I think it'd be really cool, like if I was working in a factory at my workstation, to have in that display or HMI, kind of whatever health metrics or your own little dashboard, right? Like you may have like a little corner of the screen where I'll say, you know what? I really wanna know what my current blood sugar levels are and like a little graph of that. And just to have that on the workstation. So I'm not constantly checking my phone, check, you know, I can just have that all the data I need is right in front of me and customized for me. And then being able to cut that data connection when I want in a secure way right? A little toggle on my side of the fence. And so that way I don't have to worry about data, data privacy, but yeah, I think machine vision, huge potential there. NVIDIA is coming out with new hardware every day and I'm seeing creative solutions, even just monitoring like the ergonomics of people like if they're bending over and seeing kind of if, if, if there's any kind of potential issues for, for long-term injuries and things like that. So really keeping workers healthy and making sure that they feel comfortable in the workplace. I think I, I'd like to see more focus on out there. would be cool.
0: And I love that concept as far as like, you know, it really kind of puts the tech in front of the, your frontline workforce as well. And that's something that we're, you know, we're kind of always talking about. And then, you know, the younger generations of your workforce, you know, when you talk about like community and invest, they want to feel invested in, you know, of course we're both millennials and then Mm -hmm. you've got Gen Z coming up, you know, in their own brand of chaos and I love Mm -hmm. it and I'm here for it, but you know we have these ideals around our health and we're very interested in the benefits and also the technology. And from a recruitment strategy, I mean, it just makes so much sense. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: I think so. I think what, I mean, look at as soon as email and laptops became common, people were expected to maybe check their emails at home, smartphones. So we're in this constant kind of working culture and that can make it even harder to focus when you're in the workplace and you're kind of, you may be kind of fatigued. So having this technology automating all the simple stuff for you and making your life easier, I think will be really important moving forward. And a lot of companies are, are having challenges in the manufacturing industry because there's other jobs out there that, that pay better and are less physically straining and, and less stressful. And so I think a lot of that is driven by this current manufacturing culture. I tell people, do you drive your car until your engine blows up? No, you have check engine lights on that for everything. So why do we do that when we're producing the cars? Why do we do that when we're producing all of this stuff? We're just running things to a point of failure or on the other end, yes, they have a great scheduled preventative maintenance program, but I like to I like to work off of like current real-time data and and hard numbers. And so I don't want to change that filter. If there's only 10% wear on it, I want to change it when it, if I know that the specs and the performance of the equipment is affected at 70%, well, maybe when you do that PM every two months, it's working, but you're, you're actually wasting extra potential life expectancy out of these products. So, I like that kind of sweet spot where it's like, give me the exact data and tell me the optimal time and then automatically schedule that into my system, create a work order or a ticket. And so I think I'd like to see ideally in 10 years, a lot less people running equipment to the point of failure. (laughs) It would be, it would be nice. Stop blowing up your car engines. (laughs)
0: I have so many things to say. Well, I mean, first of all, honey, if it weren't for that check oil light on my car, that Tahoe mm-hmm. would have been blown up a long time ago. Exactly. But-, <laughs> but
1: when you turn it on and it's like sitting right in front of your face, I'm like, all right, all right, after the hundred 110- yeah.
0: No, in all seriousness, though, I mean, we have this stuff anyway. We have it in our personal lives anyway, right? I mean, that's just the thing that you kind of go back to the base point of, like, Google. We have Alexa. We have Siri. We have all of these things with personal assistance that help us remind us, you know, I do anyway. But, yeah, we have our calendars, right? I would be lost without my calendar. I mean, those are just examples of how we are already deploying technology to to make our lives easier That's so much potential right yeah
1: and and i'd like i'd like to see kind of how that technology at work integrates into your home technology in life right having that kind of intercommunication efficiency whether it's calendar scheduling or, or something like that like it, for example it sees maybe you have uh event on your personal calendar and it's like so-and-so's birthday party and right before you go out it's like hey by the way don't forget you have an 8 a.m meeting tomorrow that <laughs> <bet> you're leaving. <laughs> right
0: <laughs> yeah or you need to stop and get things on the on the way to the store but yeah right this has been such a good conversation today I know that we're at or over time I mean that's kind of that's kind of how we roll though. Right? That's yeah. Yeah. that's on brand for us. It can be a little... uh, well, you know, well, you know, we just nerd out together. That's like, for those in the audience or that we're watching today, what's a good way to connect with you?
1: Just reach out on LinkedIn. I'd, I'd love to just send me a message. I'd Love to connect. Let me know how I can help. I'm always happy to help. Feel free to, to ask me anything. So yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you guys for hopping in the comments. Thank you for your questions. We really appreciate the conversation today. So everybody have a good week and we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks. Anne.